This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Tonic, heard Saturday afternoons at 1 on Zoomer Radio. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. The fact that it can activate these proteins in the body is really, really unique and very impactful on our health long term. So K1, it does have a shorter lifespan in the body. So it has the ability to be flushed out, whereas K2, it's a fat-soluble nutrient entirely, but vitamin K2 specifically stays in the body much longer. Welcome to the new and improved 60-minute version of The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we'll learn all about vitamin K2. We'll hear about the True Patriot Love Women's Expedition. We'll discuss whether it's okay to do your own yoga thing. And lastly, we'll find out what medicinal herbs we can grow in our own gardens. But first, a little bit of business. Today's show is brought to you by CanPrev. It's a great natural health company, homegrown right here in Canada. What I love best about CanPrev is the time they take to choose the best quality ingredients and formulations that empower Canadians to take an active role in their own health and wellness. New from CanPrev is their unique vitamin K2 called K2 Vital. It's produced from soy-free plant oils in a way that yields a pure 100% trans form of K2 that is 100% usable by our bodies. They also take a lot of care to produce educational resources. To learn more about this misunderstood vitamin, you can download their ebook at vitamink2.ca. Our first guest, Jenna Mangan, is a certified nutritional practitioner. She's a holistic nutritionist and yoga instructor. She has a special interest in studying nervous system health, and she teaches nutrition and movement techniques that help initiate lifestyle changes and restore balance. Jenna believes that eating more whole foods, increasing regular movement, incorporating breathing techniques, and proper supplementation protocols all play a part in lifestyle transformations. She's passionate about helping individuals achieve better health through eating well, moving better, and treating the root causes with supplementation. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I brought you on the show today to answer one of life's great mysteries, and that is why do vitamins go from A to E and then straight to K? Where's the F and G? Yeah, this is a really good question. And if you, you know, the more you think about it, the more you want to know the answer. Yeah. And it does seem strange. So there's an answer and it involves uh, chickens. So let me explain that a little bit. Um, I love chickens. You love chickens. Yeah, me too. So basically the reason that vitamins go from A all the way to K, we have to kind of turn a page back a little bit in the vitamin K uh, history book. Okay. So if we go all the way back to 1929, Uh this is when the original discoveries of vitamin K2 uh, started to unfold. So it was a Danish uh, nutritional scientist, and he was studying the effects of cholesterol on the body. And he found that when he removed all of the fat that he was feeding chickens, they had uncontrolled bleeding and bruising. And so when he implemented more fat into the diet, this blood clotting mechanism was restored. And so he named it vitamin K for coagulation 
and which is spelled with a C. With a, which is spelled with a C. But C was already <laughs> taken, right? No, he was Danish, so he. Um, oh, like K for Krona type of thing. That's right. So in German, coagulation is spelled with a K. And then it evolved into a C right. to fit into the English language, I guess. Yeah. That's interesting. So he just skipped over the F and G just because it had to do with coagulation. That's right. Yes. Huh. Yeah. So what is vitamin K? Good question. So today, since Dr. Henrik Dam, I think his name was, since his groundbreaking research, we know that vitamin K is actually not just a single nutrient, but rather a family of nutrients. Okay. Yeah. So the most popular today, we know that vitamin K1 and vitamin K2 are the most popular when it comes to being studied for human health. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they're the ones with the most research behind them. That's right. But what is it though? What do they do for us? What do they do? So they're fat-soluble nutrients. Great question. So they do actually different things. So while they do the same thing at the same time. So it's a little bit confusing. So vitamin K1 has an effect on blood clotting mechanisms. Okay. Vitamin K2 also has this effect, but it also is very specialized in activating certain proteins in the body that help direct calcium to our bones. So vitamin K2, the way I like to look at it, it specializes in activating proteins in the body. And this kind of helps it, it stands apart from vitamin K1 in this way because Mm -hmm. the biological roles and responsibilities of vitamin K2 become very different. And therefore it has a wider range of impact, I, I guess you could say, on our health. Okay, so K2 does a myriad of things, but it's also involved in the clotting process as well? Or That's right. We can't totally you know, disregard its impact. on. It does have an effect on the clotting mechanisms as well. Okay. So is that the key difference between vitamin K1 and K2, that the K2 seems to do more and, and activate calcium? That's right. Yeah. So this is really sets it apart. The fact that it can activate these proteins in the body is really, really unique and very um, impactful on our health long term. So let me explain a little bit. So K1, it does have a shorter lifespan, if you will, in the body. So it has the ability to be flushed out, whereas K2, it's a fat-soluble nutrient. Um, Vitamin K is a fat-soluble nutrient entirely, but vitamin K2 specifically stays in the body much longer. Okay. And is it stored in the fat? Is that what you mean? Um, They're stored in the liver. Yeah, stored in the liver. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so there's something that has to do with a calcium paradox, right? You were explaining this to me before. Yes. yes. So can you tell the listeners what this is about and how K2 plays into it? Yeah. Okay. So vitamin K2 is, it's basically what it does is once calcium enters the bloodstream, it's not exactly the smartest mineral. Let's just say that. Okay. So it kind of hangs out a little bit and it's like, what do I do? What do I do? You know? So vitamin K2, it it helps to activate proteins that enable calcium or direct it towards the bones. Where it's needed. Where it's needed. Where So that way our bones can be properly mineralized. And so... Going back to your question, the calcium paradox, without vitamin K2 and its ability to activate these proteins, calcium kind of just hangs out. A, it doesn't make it to our bones. And then B, it ends up in other places of the body where it's actually it's problematic. So, so, so where might it end up where it would be a problem? Yeah, so soft tissues, it can end up... I'm sure you've heard the term arterial calcification. So right. that is how that happens in a nutshell. Oh, okay. So I guess as we age, 
vitamin K2 becomes more important then. Definitely. As we age and, you know, even younger populations, adolescent people who are going through adolescent growth, it's highly important at this age as well. So I would say all ages, actually. Okay. So you you were just discussing K2 and its connection with calcium, but does K1 have a connection as well? Again, it does have some impact on activating proteins, but not this specifically. Um, So this is where K1 kind of drifts off and K2 takes um, really the spotlight for its role in bone health. But K1 is responsible for other portions of our health that are also important, right? Like cardiovascular health. Good question. So by default, vitamin K2, when it directs calcium into the bones, it keeps it, as I mentioned, from depositing in other places. Right. So let's say that we were deficient in vitamin K2 or, or it wasn't activating um, these proteins to help calcium do its job, then calcium would end up, like I said, in soft tissue or possibly contribute to arterial calcification. Over time, this has an impact on our cardiovascular system. Of course. So yeah. that is the connection between vitamin K2 and our heart. And K1 doesn't necessarily have this role. Um, so again, it's it's really where K2 takes the spotlight in terms of bone and heart health. Got it. Okay. So K1 and K2 do very different things for our health. But, yes. But we get them sort of collectively? like. Right. Okay. So good question. So it actually... Some nutritional authorities and researchers really still look at vitamin K as a one entity. Right. If you look at the RDAs outlined by Health Canada, 120 micrograms a day, it doesn't specify K1 or K2. It just says vitamin K. So... This is, you know, an, an, an area that we're optimistic about that will, in time, research will unfold and maybe separate the two. But right now, currently, when we look at where we're getting our dietary vitamin K from, we can only really look at the sources that are K1 and K2. And so, do you want to hear about some of those sources? Sure, yeah. yeah. Okay, so vitamin K1 comes from plant foods. Okay. So if you think of like... Anything that's leafy or, you know, broccoli, kale, spinach, grass. So if you think of animals that are grass-fed, they're likely getting a lot of vitamin K1. Okay. Vitamin K2 is a little tougher to get through dietary sources. Traditionally, it's found a little bit in like organ meats. Which aren't really good for you in other respects, right? But, yeah, that's kind of a whole other conversation. I mean, I guess yeah. if, you're, if your livestock was grazing on grass, right. you know, then livestock do have the ability, like cows, for example, to convert vitamin K1 to vitamin K2 in the liver, but they have four stomachs. We only have one. (laughs) So the fermentation process in humans is a little bit different. And, you know, research is also suggesting that it takes like a very healthy gut flora and specific bacteria in order for that conversion to happen. So going back to the organ meats, that's, you know, maybe you get a little bit of K2 from that. Certainly aged cheeses. So mm-hmm. really those. Oh, I love aged cheese. Yeah, that's like a good those, one. Yeah, stinky old cheeses, that yeah. kind of stuff. Fermented foods. Some fermented foods have a small amount of vitamin K2. Probably the most abundant dish is a Japanese dish, fermented soybeans known as natto. Mm-hmm. Really, really high amount. But natto is a little bit nasty too to eat, right? And that's <clears> like <throat> the goopy, gooey soy sort of. Well, it yeah, it would depend on like the presentation of it, but yeah. f- for the most part, these are foods that you don't typically eat every day. Well, it seems to me it would seem logical that they would add vitamin K to milk, right? But do they do that? 
I mean... They add other vitamins I, to milk, right? My dad's a dairy farmer, so yeah. I should know this, but... It's something to look into for next yeah, time. Yeah, so fortified, right? So yeah. it's it's not naturally occurring. So vitamin K2 in foods is typically does have some type of like microbial origin. If you think like it's alive, like fermented foods. And the liver, like the organ meats, making sense of that, that's where we know that uh, fat-soluble vitamins are stored. Right. Yeah. So again, typically you're not eating organ meats. I don't know about you, but I'm not eating these. these not foods. on a regular basis. <laughs> not on a regular basis. Unless unless somebody's <laughs> slipping it into my food, which right. is possible. It's possible. <laughs> but but unlikely. No. I, I organ meats. Yeah. Are you talking like like liver, like and, liver and kidney yeah. and heart and, yes. and sweet there, sweetbreads? I guess. So. Well, there would be small amounts. Again, nothing. Yeah. Um, it really hard to identify the yeah. amounts. Um. So. When people ask me what the best source of dietary K2 is, I say yeah. natto. It has really high levels. But even that's obscure, which I guess leads to the next point. If you are K1 or K2 deficient, mm-hmm. you're probably going to need to supplement, right? That's right. I mean, we'll look at a few statistics in a second. Yeah. But when you think about your diet on a whole, and I do eat some animal foods. Um, right. You know, you start to see the gaps. And when you compare that with the statistics that are very real, very impactful um, and research-based, it's, you know, I'm approaching an age where I'm starting to think about what my bones are going to be like in, when I'm 70, when I'm 75. Right. So you, you want to start to take action now. Of course. Yeah, it's funny. I was having a conversation with a nutritionist friend the other day, and she's a vegetarian. Right. And just kind of out of the blue, I was like, hey, do you ever think about, like, if you're getting enough vitamin K2? She's like, you know what? I were you drunk at the time? No, when this <laughs> no, like no. This was a sober conversation. Kind of like off, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, totally off topic. But I eat animal foods, you right? Know, and I'm worried about it, right? Or not worried, but I'm, I'm. See, I was blissfully ignorant. Now yeah. I'm worried. <laughs> now you're worried. <laughs> not my goal to worry you, but definitely having the knowledge to make proactive decisions, I think, is important. Sure. Yeah. So, and I think. Basically, to sum up her answer was there was other things on her radar that may have been a concern being a vegetarian. Right. Iron, like iron. That's exactly. right. Yeah. yeah. B12. And she said it wasn't until I started learning about the impact that vitamin K2 deficiency kind of long term, because it, it is a bit of a systemic thing when, when you have vitamin K2 deficiency, you don't notice it right away. Okay. So how would you know if you were vitamin K deficient? Right. So if you're vitamin K2 deficient. Right. The tests aren't publicly available. They oh. they are available to some researchers. And so this is where being proactive really just comes into play. Um, so, so what sort of symptoms might one might have that might cause them some concern? Right. I mean, the most awful, I think, and the most common is probably a hip fracture. Okay. Yeah. So by then it's kind of too late. Right. So it's the generation of the calcium and the strength in your bones, right? That's right. Is, is that essentially it? That's and essentially it, it, yeah. And it might be a calcification of your arteries. It, it might could, be a cause. And that would show up in maybe some type of cardiovascular condition or cardiovascular okay. disease. Yeah. So let's skip ahead. Let's assume we need to get some K2 into our system. What's the best way of doing that to supplement? Yeah. So, you know, the great news is there's really smart pairings out there. It's it's really popular to see vitamin D. It's a fat-soluble nutrient as well, paired with vitamin K2. Okay. This is incredibly smart because vitamin D3, we know, helps absorb calcium specifically in the intestinal tract. It gets mm-hmm. it into the bloodstream. Right. And then the K2 picks it up. 
and takes it to the bones where it needs to be properly utilized. And so looking for a soy-free plant-based form of vitamin K2 is ideal, something that is 100% trans, um, and that just means it's, it's highly bioavailable to the body to be used. Right. And yeah, the good news is there's lots of options out there. So, you know, we're, we're just sort of touching the tip of the iceberg here in terms of information yeah. about K2. So if, if people wanted to learn more about K2, what's a good resource for them? Yes. So if you type in vitamink2.ca, you know, you can read about the history. If you're a history buff, you can right. read about some of the statistics on hip fractures. You can learn about its other roles in the body with inflammation, athletic performance, stabilizing uh, blood sugar levels, dental health. You can read about all of it. And I always think it's important if you're taking something to constantly remind yourself why you're taking it. For sure. Yeah. So I would suggest to visit vitamink2.ca and um, just poke around, see what you can find out about vitamin K2. Excellent. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Will you come back on the show again? I would love to. Excellent. Thanks, Jamie. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll learn all about the True Patriot Love Women's Expedition on the Tonic. Are you one of the many Canadians dealing with chronic pain, anxiety, IBS, and other such conditions? Are you interested in finding out more about your options with medical cannabis? Then join one of 22,000 patients nationwide who've let Harvest Medicine be their trusted cannabis healthcare partner and provider. It's never been easier to access Harvest Medicine's healthcare team, education, and resources. Simply download the HMED Connect app from the Android and Apple stores and book your appointment today. To find out more, visit hmed.ca or download the app. That's HMED Connect from your app store. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. I have two guests coming up now. Fate Seguer joined the IGM group of companies through McKenzie Investments in February of 2017 to lead the client experience and engagement team. In her short period in this role, Fate led to the development and launch of Precision, an intuitive investment analytics technology that assists financial advisors in the research and analysis of Canadian investments. In January of 2018, Fate began the development of the market strategy and innovation mandate. In this newly created role, Fate is spearheading the innovation agenda by introducing new ways of working and enabling change management to mitigate future disruption and embracing new growth opportunities. Her efforts extend from strategic development to tactical implementation with focus on executive buy-in, strategic shifts to the culture, and ongoing demonstration and marketing of the value of innovation. My other guest, who's also here today, is Nicole Laidlaw. She's a sergeant in the Canadian Forces Military Police, a mother of three, and wife to a military police officer. Welcome both of you to The Tonic. How are you? Hi, Jamie. Thank you. We're well, thanks. Yeah, we're well. So you're here to speak about something really special, the True Patriot Love Women's Expedition. 
What is true patriot love? Explain that first. So, um, Jamie, it's fate. Uh, true yeah. patriot love is an organization that supports uh, veterans and military families, um, especially as they transition into uh, every t- everyday life after uh, deployment. It's been around since uh, 2009. And they've provided up to about $25 million in, in funding to uh, programs across Canada uh, that support uh, veterans and military families. Fantastic. And there's a special expedition that's going way up north, right? What's that about? So we are going to Baffin Island. Um, Why? Why are you going to Baffin Island? You should go to Vegas. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's where I would go. If I were leading the expedition, we'd be going to the Wynn Hotel. But anyways, carry on. It's the opposite end of the uh, temperature spectrum. It really is. This is not a trip. Ladies, it's not a trip for me. I commend you because I couldn't do it. Thank you. So Baffin Island. Wow. And, and how, are you, like, how are you traversing? What are you doing? So we will be snowshoeing about 100 kilometers um, from one end of Baffin Island until the other end of Baffin Island. So from kick to pang. Oh, my gosh. And how long is that going to take? The snowshoe itself will be about seven days. Wow, that's impressive. And, and, and like, I, I'm totally clueless. I imagine Baffin Island is just, like, all snow, but it, are, are there elevations? And are, are, is there greenery? Like, what's it like there? Well, right now we expect that it'll be all frozen. <laughs> yeah. Very windy. Um, we, don't, we don't believe we, there will be much elevation. I think uh, four or 500 meters is what we were told. Um, over the course of the journey, but uh, but we'll be walking down a river. Uh, frozen frozen river um, or snowshoeing down a frozen river. See, my mother would make sure that I brought long underwear and gloves and all that. Are you guys all packed and ready to go? Mostly, I have a little final packing to do this weekend. Okay. And so, yeah, we leave on um, we leave on Monday. We head to Ottawa and we fly out to Quick on on Tuesday yeah. um, of next week. So super excited! And, and while I think we each have a couple of different pairs of long johns, we're not sure if we're going to have an opportunity to change um, over the course of our our trip because it'll be yeah. a bit too cold for us. To- our, our guide has told us that we'll probably wear in the same clothes for the two weeks. Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> I would imagine. And and so like, is uh, you're taking it like are tents available? Like, would that work in that climate? Or like how, how you... Yes, we have our Arctic tents that are available, and we'll be sleeping in probably about five to six in each tent. Wow. So how did the expedition come about, and, and how did both of you come to be involved? So I um, was told actually by one of my friends, he used to be my coker, he's my first lease partner, um, when I joined the military, he was injured in Afghanistan, so he's been watching True Patriot Love to do an expedition himself. Right. And when the all-women's one came about, he emailed me and said, you should try this. And so I sent it up to uh, my chain of command, which is my boss in the military, and they actually said the application is due today. Oh, wow. So I didn't really think too much about it. I just jumped in and threw in my application and heard back about two weeks later stating, uh, asking for an interview. And then a couple weeks later, then I was told that I had made the soldier team for the Baffin Island. That's amazing. And, and what sort of, like, I presume you have to have a certain requisite level of physical competency to do a trip like this, right? So do, do you train or have you, have you done a lot of stuff up north? Or? Uh, abs- um, well, I've done winter warfare training for the military. I'm an active camper and backpacker with my family as well as with the military. But my work right now has um, definitely supported me training every single day. 
So whether it be to the gym, going for runs, when we had snow where I live, we I did snowshoes and pulling weight, pulling my children, three children in the sled as well. Yeah. Um, so I tried to take every opportunity to work out to prepare. And, and Faith, how did you come to be involved with this? So I, as um, an employee of McKenzie uh, Investments, I was uh, really grateful to have had this opportunity, but um, McKenzie um, supports a lot of grassroots organizations um, in, in Canada, and so this is the um, second um, expedition that we sponsor as an organization, so we're the presenting sponsor on, on this one, and, and um, um, for our CEO, Barry McInerney, there's, um, for this, this specific expedition and the focus on women and all women's um, focus was, was really a big deal for us. We're trying to drive that, that agenda and, and, and move to um, you know, gender equity and so on across our organization. So that was a big deal for us. And, and so same, uh, similar to Nicole, when we decided to sponsor, um, they asked for volunteers and a few of us put our hands up. And uh, I was very lucky with one of my colleagues to, uh, to have been selected to, uh, to join the expedition. So really looking forward um, for the uh, mentorship opportunity, and I think that's that's a big part of the expedition is is to um, you know as, as business leaders and and uh, veterans come together um, and and have a, a you know both a, a maybe a double sided mentorship opportunity. Right, Nicole will definitely be helping us on the on the physical side because <laughs> right. they're not we're in heels all day most of us. <laughs> right. So she'll be helping there, and and for us in terms of you know some of the challenges we deal with um, in the workplace and and how do we overcome them uh, over come some of those we're hoping that 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 could be of help to our our uh, veteran partners this is team building exercise in the in the extreme isn't it right it's not it like it is yeah and i think <laughs> we expect that there'll be a ton of opportunity for reflection right i mean like where you know you think about um in in toronto specifically we wake up every day and there's like a hundred things we need to get done before we go out the door this is going to be really about survival mm-hmm. right yeah How do we Off wake up make sure we've got enough in our system to keep warm um right we can get our shoes on snowshoes on fairly quickly so we're not uh freezing and and move to the next uh point so it's, it should be very basic, but I think we're going to be dealing with a lot of um, extreme conditions, and, and hopefully that'll create a opportunity for, for bonding and reflection. And right. so it's a great opportunity just to move off the grid, to put away laptops, put away cell phones and everything, and to uh, fundraise for a great cause. A hundred percent. I'm sure you're going to see all sorts of uh, flora and fauna that you know we just don't get to see. Um, mm-hmm. I presume there are personal reasons, too, for, for, for signing up. I mean, beyond just sort of putting your hand up and saying, yeah, I'd like to go to Bath and Island. I, I presume there's some personal reasons as well. Yeah? Yes, definitely. Um, I have seen firsthand uh, family. So my dad and my husband both suffer from PTSD. Um, so I've seen family friends suffer from life-changing experiences that affect just not them, but also their families as well. And yes, the government and Veterans Affairs provide assistance, but TPL goes above and beyond that, providing different opportunities um, that can help uh, soldiers and families as well. So a big part of me doing was to do that, just to help in a small part to help my friends and family as well, and then also have an opportunity to work with women. I'm in a male-dominated field right now, and I have been my entire life, so just to work one-on-one with all women is going to be fantastic. Yeah, it'll be interesting, I guess, to see the dynamics of of how an expedition would work, because it's so outside the norm. Although, I guess for somebody in the Army, you're used to sort of working in teams like that. Oh, definitely. And and Fate, for you, were there personal reasons for, for doing this? 
Yeah, I mean, I generally, I, I do try in the business world to, to do um, mentorship as much as possible and, and to help, um, you know, women coming up in their in their career and, and so on. But I think um, for us, this is this will help from a reflection and, and my own personal growth, like it brings that on a, to a different level, right? Um, yeah. Dealing with things that are, I was presenting to our leadership team a couple of weeks ago, said, you know, we come into work every day and we talk about investments and retirement planning and, and you know, the, the, the business stuff that, that keep, you know, our lights on. Um, but, but what our veterans go through every day is very real stuff, right? Um, yeah, for like sure. that's your basic needs when you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, and just to bring a sense of uh, reality to uh, what we have to face every day at, in our business life. Yeah. Um, I think um, that's that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking to, forward to, to learning um, uh, a ton there. Will you be able to document your travel uh, in real time? I, I can't imagine there's a lot of service up there. So are you going to be sending pictures? Are you going to be keeping a journal? What do you what do you plan to do? I personally will be keeping a journal. I kept one when I was deployed to Afghanistan on my day-to-day activities that I did there. But uh, our guide will be sending a message every couple of days to True Patriot Love who will uh, distribute that to family, friends, or coworkers, uh, people that you have chosen. Um, so about every three days, just an update. Yeah, same here. Yeah, we don't expect to have any uh, cell service. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine. But I, I did buy a, a, a big battery pack, so I'm hoping that at least my iWatch and my iPhone could stay charged enough to just track the journey. Yeah. Because um, I'd love to, like, wow, what, a, what an experience that, mm-hmm. that we get to go through now. So. Yeah, and if people want to track your progress or learn more about the expedition, where can they go to find out that information? So they can visit uh, the webpage for truepatriotlove.com and also on social media, True Patriot Love will post updates on there as well. So Facebook, Instagram, and they can also uh, go to our donating tab on True Patriot Love on the webpage if they want to donate to our cause. Right, and just one last question. So with the donations, where will the money be going? So um, part of this expedition, uh, Jamie, is to raise a a million dollars. So we all have, all of the civilians that are participating um, have a $50,000 personal target to raise. So we're all working towards that. And all that money will go to uh, veteran and military programs that support veterans and military families. Fantastic. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Thank you both so much for coming on the show. Thank Thank you for having us. Have a good day. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll learn whether it's okay to do your own yoga thing on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. 
They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Our next guest, Jelena Da Silva, is a well-certified, passionate yoga teacher. Her love for yoga takes her across the GTA to teach at several studios and multiple clients. Her background in psychology and college athletics infuses her classes with a strong understanding of how mind and body function. Whether leading a large outdoor event, a classroom of yogis, or in the home of a client, her philosophy for teaching is simple. Teach with love, empathy, patience, and humility. Yoga is a journey, not a destination, and she can be reached at jelenayoga.com. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. So in the March issue of Tonic, you wrote about rogue yogis who do their own thing in yoga class. Yes, I did. (laughs) So I gather, because this was something you were excited to write about, Yeah, you have some anecdotal... anecdotal stories to relate about the kind of shenanigans that you see. So let's hear it. What do people do? Yeah, I do. Well, there are some really blatant examples where I'll be suggesting that we do something and I've had it happen a couple of times where someone comes in, lays their mat down and then just does whatever they want the entire class. Like doesn't even do anything that the teacher suggests. Right. I've had moments where people are doing handstands while everyone else is doing shavasana. Right. Or moments where you can tell that they're willfully deciding to do something different, right? almost like a bit of a challenge. I don't teach yoga, but I teach spin classes. And, you know, with spinning, there's only so many things you can do. There's so many yoga poses. But with Mm -hmm. spinning, you're either in the seat climbing or going fast, or you're out of the seat climbing or going fast. (laughs) And, you know, there's variations. You can bounce around. There's a little choreography. But, you know, like when they come to the class and they just pedal and they don't do anything other than pedal. Yeah. Like I question what are they doing there? Like you must question what are you doing in a class if you're not going to participate in the class? And that's just it, you know, and I've been having conversations with people since I've written this article where people have been asking that question to me. They're like, you just spent close to $30 on a class that you're not even participating in. Why are you here? You know, and so it leads to different questions. Why do you think people do that, come in and do their own thing in a class situation? I think that from what I've observed, a lot of people like to be in a classroom setting because they like to be around other people. Ah. So there's that connection to other people, but not actually doing the postures themselves. So it becomes a real delicate balance of, I mean, you don't want to discourage them from coming to class and having that connection to other people, that safe kind of connection. Right. But also it becomes very distracting. Well, you know, when you, somebody who maybe is doing their own thing, maybe they have mobility issues or something like that. But totally. somebody, somebody who's doing handstands when you're trying to wind down at the end of the class, that sounds like a bit of narcissism to me. I think you really hit the nail on the head. It's when, it's when someone doesn't realize that their behavior affects other people around them. Right. And they're very focused on their own experience. And you want people to have their own experience. But when right. it starts to become detrimental right. and um, detract from those people that are near them, then there needs to be a conversation. Right. And, and why else is it sort of problematic in a class setting to sort of do your own thing? Well, from a teacher's perspective, you know, you're walking into a space, you've got 20 bodies that you're taking care of, right. and you're wanting to guide th- people through a safe experience, and you've got this one person doing their own thing, and they could potentially hurt themselves, or right. the person next to them if they're doing something that they're not ready for. Right. I don't teach a lot of inversions because I find people need to be very strong to do them, and if someone's kicking their legs in the air, I don't know what's going to happen. Right. So there's that. 
And there's something really wonderful that happens when everybody starts to move together. It's this synergistic choir-like flow that people feel in the moment and talk about after class. Right. And so when people are not doing that, they not only miss out on the experience for themselves, they're affecting that kind of there, vibe. There, yeah, there's a new product on the market called Peloton, which is, it's essentially a spin bike that you do in the privacy of your own home. I've seen it. And I you want can, one. <laughs> yeah, people want them. And you connect online to classes that run throughout the day, right? So the oh. idea is and you're just buying the bike, you're buying classes that you don't actually have to go to the studio to do. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if those people are actually like I understand the convenience of it, right? Like you don't have to get changed and drive or walk or whatever and go to the studio. You can do it whenever you want in the privacy of your home. But you really are missing out on that collective experience of everybody working hard and everybody struggling up that hill and everybody, you know, spinning quickly. Like, and there's something to that, right? I couldn't agree more. I have little moments of panic where, you know, before I go to sleep at night, I'll I'll be like, how secure is my job? Are people going to keep coming to a yoga studio? They could do everything online these days. I'm going to lose my apartment. No. I just kind of spiral down. But then when I'm in the (laughs) classroom and I'm experiencing what you were just describing, that collection of people coming together and experiencing this, you can't replace it with an app. You can't replace it with that singular experience. I I think the one detriment to the interweb is that we've created our own little tribes where we can be insular and stay in our own little homes and hives and rage at the world and do nothing. Uh, And we don't spend enough time collectively. Not that I'm a great people person, but (laughs) from my perch outside of society, I look at all of you and I think, no, you have to come together. Yeah. (laughs) um, Yeah, it's true. So how do you deal with it? Like when somebody's acting out in class, and I'll call it acting out, but I think we know what we're talking about. Uh, how, do, how do you deal with it? Very carefully. You know, if someone's been coming to the class for a while and they continue to do their own thing, I try to connect to them outside of the class experience, get to know them a little bit more, and they usually reveal why they're doing what they're doing. Right. Um, it could be psychological. It could be for whatever reason they don't cue off of things as well socially as other people. So being very aware of that, I think, is important and just giving them the suggestion to try following along. But if not, I would rather them keep coming. Usually they're so independent, they end up just, you know, going well, off on their own. Do you, put anyway. them, do you put them off to the side or at the back if they can't sort of I get do. with the program? I do. When Sometimes like I've had a student come up to me, she's like, I just kind of want to do my own thing. I'm like, that's cool. If you want to go in the back corner and do your own thing, that's fine. I understand. When there are situations where the person is so loud right. in their, their breathing or their their expression of whatever they're going through that the people beside them are scared. Right. Um, I used to have a student that would make grunts grunts and very loud sighs and heavy breathing and all this kind of stuff. I've been known to drop the F-bomb when I can't can't hold a pose. But anyways, (laughs) yeah. yeah. I think I might have too. But just like quietly suggesting to them, like, you know, just so you know that it's a little bit much. Can you yeah. can you tone it down? You know, but having being very careful approaching those students so that they're not discouraged, right. but also making them aware that you know you're making other people a little uncomfortable. I want you to feel comfortable, but not at the sacrifice of how do you how do you deal with the narcissists though? Right, because they're in their own little world. What do you just tell them? They're amazing and they're awesome. And they- oh no. <laughs> <laughs> There's only so much you can do in that situation. Right. Usually I find because my style of teaching is 
it's not about the big moves. It's not about the crazy stuff. Right. Those people tend to find a class where they can show off, where they can do what they want to do. I'm not interested in you conquering a posture. I'm interested in you getting to know yourself within the posture and uh, experiencing it in a safe way. And when you offer that, um, it attracts a student that's interested in that. And if someone is more self-involved, they tend to not be drawn. Right. I would think eventually experience. somebody who needs to show off would get tired of yoga because it's really not no. It's not the venue for showing off, right? No, it, it really isn't. <laughs> and, and let's talk a little bit about sort of the, the notion of connectivity with mm. yoga. Like it really is an important element of the class, right? If, if you're taking a group class. Yeah, I really think it is. You know, I'll begin the class by steadying everybody's breath and trying to bring them down to a base level of calmness, you know, getting the muscles to relax, getting the thoughts to be centered on the breath and how the body feels so that we're all somewhat starting on the same playing field right. and realizing, you know, we all need the breath. We're all in this experience together. Let's all dial down and connect. And that really does create a collective calm. Uh, so they experience it for themselves and then they experience it from the bodies around them as well. So okay. it's really important. So if somebody really wants to do their own thing and still wants to take yoga, maybe they can, but not in the class setting, right? Maybe there's other options for somebody who wants to do yoga. Maybe Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So for if you sure. really, if you really can't contain yourself, but you want to do the <laughs> yoga, what are the options? There, there are a lot of really sure. great online options. Um, yoga Glow is usually the one that I recommend right off the bat, yogaglow.com. Um, it's free for the first 15 days, so you can try it out. So essentially you're getting programming that's, it's an app, I guess? That, that It's an app, it's a, a website, and right. it has world-renowned teachers, it has um, expert and beginner, it has, you can type in like, I want to work on yoga for my neck, or my shoulder, or pranayama, breath control, or whatever, right. and then it gives you exactly what you want. Right. Gaia is another one where right. it's like 15 bucks a month. Yoga with Adrian on YouTube, that mm -hmm. one's free. And I was even just Googling free flow yoga before that. All right. Um, so if, if you don't want to do the app route, you could also hire a teacher to come in and do a private lesson, right? And that way you could you sort sure of, could. you could be self-directed. But not everybody has the resources, No, right? that's the thing. Well, even, I, I recommend people even doing like one off or two off with a teacher so that right. they have the chance to have someone watch them do the practice, right. and guide them through. There are retreat options. Right. So let's talk about that. You have one coming up, don't you? I sure do. I'm very excited about it. It's going to be in the south of France, um, near the Dordogne River. When? Uh, June 1st to 8th. Okay. See, I'm I'm going to be at France at the end of June, so I'm going to miss it. But otherwise, I'd Dang love it. to go. I know. Come early. <laughs> Live in a chateau I already for a week. I already booked the flights. Uh, that sounds great, though. Um, yeah, it's uh, going to be taking place in a chateau. Uh, there's an indoor yoga, outdoor yoga platform. It's an amazing historical area in the south of France. I'm kind of known for yoga and wine. It's my jam. I go yep. around town getting people drunk and happy. And so I wanted something that kind of embodied that experience. And the thing about retreats is, you know, you can go and you can participate in the class or you can go and just use the space for yourself. If so. they wanted to reach out and find out about it, how would they do that? They can visit my website, jelenayoga.com, or focusedretreats.com is the website where uh, the retreat itself is being advertised. But jelenayoga.com pops up right away. You can find me. Fantastic. Unfortunately, yeah. that's all the time we have today. But we're going to see you at OMTO on June 23rd, right? Here's hoping. Let's yep. do this. Let's do it. Sunshine, please. Yep. Mother Nature. Yeah, at the Distillery <laughs> District. We've got to take a short break. But when we return, we'll learn how to grow medicinal herbs in your own garden on the tonic. Mm -hmm. 
The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of The Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like The Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Ted Snyder, is co-author of Healthy Herbs, the Family Naturopathic Encyclopedia and Sex and Fertility Natural Solutions. His latest book, co-authored with Linda Wolven, is Chocolate, Food of the Gods. And he's also co-author of the blog naturalpathnewsletter.com. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me. So recently we were sort of talking because we happen to be neighbors and uh, we were talking about, you know, all the things that we are growing in our respective gardens. And it got me thinking about what is it that we can grow that might be helpful to our health? So I thought it would be fun if you came on the show and discuss the sort of things that people might be able to grow in and around Toronto. Okay. So one of the ideas you had is there's stuff that's probably in our yards and in our gardens that has medicinal value that we may not even be aware of that's already there, right? Yeah. Yeah. For me, the most magical thing about natural medicine is that as you're walking through the world, if you know the plants around you, there's a plant there that can prevent or treat nearly any illness and that the traditional North American herbs that we use were just herbs. They were just plants that were growing out in the fields. Right. So in our backyards, there's this whole natural pharmacy of plants that are just growing. And we've learned to think of a lot of them as weeds and we pull them out. But some of the most valuable medicinal herbs out there are just growing on your lawn. You don't need to try to make them grow in your garden. They're growing like crazy because they belong there. You know, herbs like dandelion and, and nettle and plantain, things that we pick out of our gardens and throw away are these powerful medicinal herbs. So, yes, yeah, so we can start talking about some of the herbs that are just growing in your, in your backyard that you don't need to plant at all. Right. So a lot of us expend a tremendous amount of energy to get rid of dandelions. Yeah. But if we decided to keep a few plants around, what, what could we use it for? Yeah, I think dandelion is the most ironic plant in the world because dandelion is this powerful liver cleansing herb. And what we do to get rid of our weeds is we, we spray herbicides on our lawn right. that kill the dandelions and then they cause liver problems and we go to the store to try to find something to cure the liver problems and we buy dandelion right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so full circle so, yeah <laughs> so you know dandelions growing in your yard and you can let them grow pick the whole plant the leaf first of all the leaf if you have urinary tract problems is 
about the most powerful diuretic out there, but unlike diuretic drugs that deplete minerals like potassium, it's loaded in them. So it's a really healthy diuretic. It's a great traditional green bitter for digestion. And it is and quite it, bitter though, right? I mean, I tasted it dandelion. Yeah. This is like, but you know, when you see people who have moved to Canada from maybe the Mediterranean, you see them like at the sides of highways and roads picking plants in the spring. Yeah. They're picking dandelion and they're throwing those. Canada's one of the few countries that we don't enjoy bitters. Most cultures put bitter greens in their salads because it's great for digestion. Yep. So you can, you can do that. And then take the root, dry the root and make a tea or something out of the root. And it's about as powerful and versatile um, liver herb as you can get. It's great for things like um, hepatitis or cirrhosis or liver congestion. So you can use the entire plant and you're going to get tons of them in your yard. So you can use your dandelion. Plantain, which is that leaf you get. When we were kids, we used to pick plantain leaves because they have like stringy things in the leaf. We used to pull the strings down and then right, right, right. Get all sort of spiky things with the seeds. They're the ones that if you get them by the bottom, they're pretty easy to pull out. We weed them all the time. But plantain's a great skin herb and you don't even have to do anything with it. If you get like a mosquito bite or you're itchy and you pick one of those leaves and you just roll it in your hand to bruise it, some of the juice comes through and then just rub the leaf on your skin. It's incredible relief for almost any kind of um, bite or itchiness. The nettle in your garden that you pull out is, is also really great for skin conditions. It's amazing for allergies. You can use the root. If you're a man, you can use the root for enlarged prostate. It's a, yep. it's a great prostate root. And the, the leaf is great for especially kids' skin conditions like, like eczema. The nettle leaf is also a great herb for bringing on breast milk if you're breastfeeding. So these are all things growing in your yard. You know, St. John's wort, which is like the most powerful antidepressant in the world, is probably growing. If you live in Toronto, you see it all over the place. So it's growing. You've got, you know, you've got this great antidepressant. The clover in your yard, the red clover is, is a great herb for, again, skin conditions, especially for kids like acne or eczema. So would and you ingest it or would you, would you just rub it on? You can throw it in your salad. You can make a tea out of it. You can ingest the whole thing as a, as a plant any way you want. It's also got a lot of isoflavones in it, which is the thing that makes soy so good for you. And although there's not nearly as much research as for soy, red clover um, might be really good for menopause or for cancer. And these things are all just they're all just growing in your backyard. They're all over the place. We think of them as weeds, but they're just plants that grow really well because they belong there. Now, now if you wanted to sort of grow something that wasn't necessarily indigenous, but but will take in a local garden, what are some of the things that you could grow and, and what would you use them for? So some of the ones we know the best are, are things that grow well in our gardens because they grow well here. So when you're walking down the streets of Toronto and you see those beautiful, tall, purple daisies in everybody's yard and they're so beautiful, that's echinacea. So that's the most powerful immune herb, you know, probably in the world. It comes by all different names. It's not always called echinacea in the flower store. They often call it coneflower. Right. That's echinacea. So you can use the whole plant. You know, you can use the roots, the leaves, the flowers of that, make a tea out of it, pour a bit of alcohol, like a vodka in a bottle and steep the herb in it for several weeks and make your own tinctures. But you've got, you've got echinacea easily growing in your garden. Some of the other herbs that, you, that people know of all the time, like chamomile. Mm-hmm. Chamomile is really easy to grow in Toronto gardens. And we know it as a calming herb, like for anxiety. Right. It's great for insomnia, especially for seniors. But chamomile has uses that we don't normally think of. It's great for um, PMS or cramping. Chamomile tea is good for diabetes diabetes and cholesterol. There's even research showing that drinking chamomile tea can prevent thyroid cancer. And there's a study that shows that 
especially for women, drinking chamomile tea makes you live longer. So there's this wow. longevity herb, pretty little yellow and white daisy growing in her garden. Another herb that looks like chamomile is feverfew. Grows mm-hmm. really well in Toronto gardens, which is you know one of the two best things you can take if, for migraine headaches. The mint. Yeah, I have a ton of mint in my backyard. It really proliferates if you allow it to. Yeah, mint will go crazy. And so, so, Jamie, the cool thing about mint is a lot of mints aren't called mint, so we don't know they're mint. Like lemon balm is a mint, and sage is a mint, and rosemary is a mint. The way you can tell you have a mint in your garden is if you feel the stem of a plant and it's square instead of round. Yeah. If it's a square stem, it's a mint. Huh. And so a couple of cool things we know about mints, one is they're really great antiviral herbs. So if you're prone to colds or flus or things like that, pull out any mints you want in your garden, just mix them, throw them into a tea, drink mint, drink different mint teas every day. They'll be great for antiviral. And the other thing that's coming out now, this is really new, the mints all seem to have things in them, especially something called rosmarinic acid, which is amazingly good for memory. These things work like acetylcholinesterase inhibitors, like drugs for Alzheimer's. And so if you've got like sage or rosemary or lemon balm, or spearmint, any of those mints, and you make teas out of those, those are great for cognition. They're great for memory and concentration. If you think about it, the name of the plant, sage. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> right? yeah. that, that, it comes because it had this reputation for memory, for you know, making a sage out of you. And rosemary, that's been known forever. And Shakespeare says in Hamlet, he says, rosemary, that's for remembrance. And recent science is showing that all these herbs really do have these properties. So if you take your rosemary, your sage, your lemon balm, your Experiment, throw those into a tea. They're great for memory and concentration. All of those herbs have different uses too. Sage is one of the best herbs in the world for menopause. Linda uses sage in her clinic all the time for night sweats. It's incredible for that. Hmm. Rosemary is great for headaches. It's as powerful as a, as a cup of tea is as, you know, as powerful as an aspirin for, for headaches. Spearmint and peppermint are great for like digestion or colic or nausea. These are incredible herbs for, for um, lemon balm, which is the other one, good for memory, great for insomnia. Mix it up with some valerian, take that for insomnia, take it for nervousness. Again, viruses, herpes viruses. These things are easy to plant. In fact, they're too easy to plant. Like you said, they'll just take over your garden. Right. So you can use any of those. That's fantastic. If people had specific questions or they wanted to reach out to you to find out more information, how could they reach out to you? The easiest way is through our website which is just, we read a newsletter called The Natural Path. So our newsletter is thenaturalpathnewsletter.com. We blog stuff there every day, and you can see our books there, and there's a place there you could submit you know, questions or comments to us. So that's the easiest way, is just through the website, thenaturalpathnewsletter.com. Fantastic. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much for coming no uh, on the show. Thanks for having me, Jamie. And we'll love to have you back again. That'd be great. Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomerradio.ca and thetonic.ca. For great articles written by Jelena De Silva, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighbourhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss the connection between Alzheimer's disease and sugar, the benefits of keeping a health journal, a physician's take on e-prescriptions, 
and lectin-free and gluten-free diets. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.